Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Author Kurt Vonnegut once asked, who is to be pitied, a writer bound and gagged by policemen, or one living in perfect freedom who has nothing more to say? Now, that's an interesting question. It's one that we might just examine today on Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's edition, we talk the rise of Ron DeSantis, the fall of Laurie Lightfoot, free speech under attack once again, and how the next generation is tending towards authoritarianism. I want to take a moment to say a special thank you to our listeners out in Hastings, Michigan on WBCH 1220 AM and 93.1 FM. Thank you for being here. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com. You can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has stripped Disney of its special status, a move that some say is long overdue and others say is authoritarian. Either way, the move is certain to be political. Uh, we're very lucky to be joined by Liberty Nation's editor-in-chief, Lisa K. Donna, to get to the heart of the Sunshine State's Top Gun maneuvers. Thanks for being here, Lisa. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. And I believe at time of recording, the uh, Sunshine State is suffering a real pea super. Ah. Well, I happen to be in the Sunshine State, uh, and it actually burned off, and now it is another beautiful sunny day. But wait five minutes, that just might change. That's what we say about England. If you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. So, Lisa, let's start with a very deceptively simple question, if we may. Um, If Ron DeSantis were not the governor of Florida, would the world know or even be concerned with the Magic Kingdom's special status? I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, He has definitely put himself front and center of this culture war, and I think it is a culture war. And remember, if your side is on the side of culture, you're going to next take over the politics. So culture is very important. Yeah, it it really is true that uh, politics is downstream from culture. Now, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it seems to me that these actions of stripping Disney of the the benefits it has, specifically with the the Reedy Creek land, is are the actions of someone who's determined to build national recognition. What's your take? Well, you know that's interesting. Um, I suppose you're right. I guess I see DeSantis more as a purist in this area. I mean, he has small kids. You know, some of the stuff that's been going on in Disney has really been upsetting parents. You know, I don't think it's so much that DeSantis is the authoritarian here, is that Disney has become the authoritarian. For instance, there's 
doing a special gig with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Mm. And the Gay Men's Chorus published a video in 2021 informing viewers that, quote, we will convert your children quietly and subtly to LGBT ideology and, quote, you will barely notice it. You know, for something that's designed to be family fun, the very idea that any group with any ideology at all, regardless of whether it's the LGBT ideology or any other ideology, that they would aim to surreptitiously convert your children to any cause whatsoever and the parents not being able to notice it. I mean, that's a problem for any ideology, isn't it? And yet Disney appears to have jumped wholeheartedly, excuse the phrase, jumped wholeheartedly into bed with this particular group. Well, you know, again, I'm not sure that it's an appropriate topic for a children's entertainment company. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's the big question, isn't it? You know, and DeSantis has really gotten the better of them. I mean, they, they, he, they, he's punishing them big time. Uh, the Reedy Creek thing is gone. Their tax-exempt status is gone. Uh, he's now appointed the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, and he gets to handpick them. And guess who he's picked? Who's he picked? Bridget Ziegler, a proponent of this education policies. Ron Perry, who heads the Christian Ministry Gathering USA. Michael Sasso, president of the Federalist Society's Orlando chapter. And on and on. He, you know, he's he's really won this battle big time. And how do Flor Floridians feel about that? How, how do they feel about Disney losing these perks that it had to operate? Because I, I think it's it's highly unlikely that Disney will say, "Well, we're not going to stay in Florida anymore," because you know, Florida's Florida, right? That's where its reputation was built. Um, so, how do Floridians feel? Well, about what he's done. I mean, all you have to do is look at the last election. Yeah. Governor Ron DeSantis is exceedingly popular in the Sunshine State. I mean, that doesn't mean everybody's for him, but he's exceedingly popular. You know, he, he had the biggest win of all in November. And so he's pushing forward with a lot of people behind him. And, you know, Florida's an older state. A few more conservative, I think, values are popping up, especially when it comes to this kind of culture and pushing sexuality on small children. Well, you know, let, let's talk about this this culture war, as it as it is, as, as you term it. Um, it. It really does seem to me that even if it weren't happening, as Barack Obama suggested, there's no such thing as the culture war. The mainstream media, it, or not say, let's call it the legacy media or the activist media, for that's what it really is, it is trying to create it. I mean, it was the activist media that ran with, this is the don't say gay bill, even though the words don't say gay were never in the bill. And, and it was across the headlines. And people are using that same term to describe DeSantis policies still today, months after it's been debunked. Look, my reading on this is that people, it's not that people are against other people's sexual preferences. It's that they don't want their, those other folks' sexual preferences put upon their children. They feel like they are the parent and they want to instruct the child in their values. And, you know, that's the traditional look at parenthood. That's a view of parenthood, I should say. I mean, the, the idea that the parents shouldn't be in control of, of 
educating their their children uh, with values that they share. I mean, that that really gets to the heart of the idea. And I can't help thinking back to the old Marxist philosophy of, you know, you've got to separate the child from the family so they can become a good communist. I mean, uh, maybe I'm going a little too overboard in that, but this is what it seems like to me. Anything, and, and the LGBTQ stuff, or, or anything that tries to separate the children's and the children's morality from the parents and the parents' values that they wish to instill in their child. That that's that smacks of communism, doesn't it? Or am I going too far with this? No, no, I, I think there there is some element, element of that in it, Mark. You know, traditionally, parents have had the opportunity, the right, and frankly, the responsibility to school their kids and their values. So let's say you grow up in a Christian home, you take your kid to Sunday school, uh, you, you bring them up in your Christian values. Let's say you are an Orthodox Jewish person. You take your child to temple, maybe to Hebrew school, that sort of thing. So, you know, this is that to me, that's the ultimate melting pot. I mean, where people get an opportunity to intersect with others that are brought up in a way that is traditional to their family. It it strikes me as uh, funny that nobody on the, and let's be fair, most of this is coming from the political left, that nobody on the political left is saying that, uh, you know, we should, we should stop uh, Muslim children from going to mosques because they're, there's a dangerous inculcation of uh, their parents' beliefs, uh, and it's brainwashing them into their parents' beliefs, uh, where they're quite happy to say that about Christians. Yeah, I do want to bring up that Christians and traditional family values have been bolstered by the Muslim community. Very much so. In Michigan, they're 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 not have, the Muslim community has not helped all this, uh, you know, indoctrinating your child at a young age. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's a, an immovable object and an irresistible force about to approach when it comes to uh, the, the ideology that's being pushed on children through these woke corporations. Uh, Lisa, final word for you. Does what DeSantis has done in Florida bolster his potential presidential hopes? In a nutshell, Mark, yes. And there you have it. We'll be back with Lisa K. Donner after this short break, talking Laurie Lightfoot. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. We're back with Liberty Nation's Editor-in-Chief, Lisa K. Donner. Earlier in the show, we tackled a politician on the rise, but now let's look the opposite direction to a Chicago leader on her way out. The almost unthinkable happened in the Windy City with Mayor Laurie Lightfoot, who will be out on her ear come April, as we say on this side of the Atlantic. Lisa, thanks for being back with us. And what happened to this darling of the left? Well, not a lot of violins are playing over on the right, but I, I will say that, you know, we don't necessarily know uh, if choices two, three, and four are a whole lot better. But as for Lori Lightfoot, I mean, I, I think she just went down with the crime rates. Mm. You know, I mean, they recorded 695 murders in 2022, 804 in 2021. You know, it's just, it's bad stuff going on in Chicago. 
Yeah, and uh, Jesse Jesse Smollett. I mean, he got attacked in Chicago too, right? <laughs> don't start now. Oh. I don't know. If, I don't know if the listener can sense your sarcasm. <laughs> so, I mean, she was she was fairly gracious in defeat, I think, to start with, but then she went off on a little bit of a tangent and spoiled it all by blaming her loss on racism. Now, I, I have a quote for you, and I think I have this this right. She says that the reason she didn't advance to the April runoff, she came third, obviously, uh, is because, here's the quote, I'm a black woman in America, of course. Now, Lisa, my question for you, what was she in 2019 when she won? Yeah, you know, it's the door swings both ways and the electorate you know, can be fickle. And I, I, I'm not sure she was voted in because she was a black woman. And I'm not sure she was voted out because she's a black woman. Yeah, I mean, did, did the people who voted for a black woman in America, of course, in 2019, did they all up and leave Chicago and move to uh, to Florida? Yeah, you know, I, I just think that she her record was what did her in. And it's sometimes it's hard to look at that in defeat, to take responsibility for the fact that your actions have cost you an election, or maybe in her case for non-actions. I don't know. Well, you know what? That's it's interesting that you bring up the word responsibility because to me it seems that's what she was avoiding through most of her four years in office. Um, obviously, she she took the job in in Chicago. And we, we know Chicago has been a, a problem city for a good long time since Mayor Daley uh, and before. Um, but she refused to accept that she had in her power through policies uh, ways to either ameliorate the issues at hand or, or to in some cases even help. But no, she, she opted for the opposite. She was fully behind the defund the police movement when crime was running rampant. And I think that there's not really any way that she can look back on her record and say, you know what, I did something good for this city. What do you think? You know, and I do think it goes past beyond identity politics. I think the American electorate doesn't care about somebody's skin color, doesn't care about whether they're a gay woman. I, I, I think they care about whether they can get to the grocery store and back without getting shot. I think they care about their daughter who works in a retail store. Is she going to get shot because she's just working in a downtown retail store? Uh, I think they're worried about their sons uh, walking the streets and getting shot. You know, Chicago has gotten to be a, a very, very violent place again. It, it really has. now. Uh, obviously, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, she's not advanced to the April 4th runoff, but the two gentlemen that have, uh, both obviously still Democrats. So there's, I mean, th that's going to be Chicago. Well, what else is it going to be? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you've got they Paul Ballas and you've yeah. got Brandon Johnson. Now, the former there, he has a very uh, strong, at least openly strong attitude a positive attitude towards policing. Um, and he hasn't been behind the defund the police movement. He has the support of, uh, I believe, the the, uh, the the local police there. Uh, whereas the second candidate, he 
I, I, I think I have his his day one policy correct here. He is going to promote two hundred officers to detectives to detective status, but not increase the number of police and perhaps even cut the number of police. So just to be clear for our listeners, first in line was uh, Paul Vallis. I don't know if you pronounce it Vallis or Vias. Uh, he's the one that the Fraternal Order of Police, and that's the big police union, endorsed. Third, second in line, I keep wanting to say third, second in line is Brandon Johnson. He's the one who uh, says he's expanding the number of detectives by promoting 200 officers, police officers. And do you think, uh, regardless of which one gets in, do you think it will be business as usual in Chicago? Well, you know, that that's really the $64,000 question, as they say. You know, uh, it's still all one-party rule there. Uh, you know, and I hate to say yes, because you look at Eric Adams in New York. He was going to be kind of the alternative. Mm. And it doesn't look so much like that's happening. Yeah, I'm not an expert on New York, but... You, you know, I think that's a, a very keen distinction to make because in the run-up to the election for uh, New York mayor, uh, Eric Adams uh, trod very hard. He pushed very hard his association with the police force, former police officer, uh, and his tough-on-crime attitude. And a lot of people believed that at the time. A lot of people, including me, I actually fell for it, and I thought, wow, this is this is going to be a good thing for New York uh, because it's a Democrat that's tough on crime. Well, that's a, that's a good that's a good mix, right? I mean, it's really showing that Democrats can try and be tough on crime. So it's not just a one-party issue. But then, we, you know, we look at it uh, a little while down the line, and it's, this, it's it's pretty much business as usual. Things aren't getting any better. Um, and I wonder if what we see built up from these politicians is is not really their actual attitudes or their um, their beliefs on things, but more uh, a carefully crafted veneer that will, A, help them get elected in places that are struggling with genuine issues, um, but B, something that the media can sell to the public. It's a pre, like a prepackaged uh, clone of the individual that can be sold to the public. Well, look, this is what happened in Pennsylvania with the Senate race. I mean, John Fetterman was put in office even though he had serious and still has still has him yeah. uh health issues mental health issues physical health issues but you know he won the senatorial race and that spoke volumes so, so i think sometimes we become so divisive that we're not looking at people we're just looking at platform if you've got a blue d next to your name i'm going to vote for you or i'm not going to vote for you that kind of thing as you know, Lisa, any letters after the name nowadays, LGBTQ, D, R, anyone you like, it all makes a difference in American politics. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thank you, Mark. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. A production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. 
Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. With Dilbert creator Scott Adams throwing his career on the proverbial bonfire of the vanities, we're asking what are the facts behind the flames and whether public pronouncements in general have become dangerous territory. Well, to help us navigate the complexities, we're joined by Liberty Nation author and host of The Right On Show, Mr. Jeff Charles. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me back. This should be pretty interesting. Well, let's hope so. If it isn't, I blame you. Um, if it is, I blame my excellent uh, skills as host. So bear that in mind. Now, Jeff, give us a, a a brief encapsulation of the mess that Scott Adams finds himself in for those who haven't been subject to the the, the wall-to-wall media spread on this. Yeah, so it all started with the poll, a Rasmussen poll that said that um, – uh, it, it asked respondents if they agreed with the, with the statement, it's okay to be white. And when they pulled black respondents, 53% agreed with that statement, while 47% were either not sure or they disagreed with the statement. So Scott Adams, who likes to stir the pot, got on his podcast and quoted the poll and basically said that that this indicates that black Americans are a hate group and that he doesn't want to be part of a hate group. And that while he has spent a lot of his lifetime trying to help black people, he's no longer going to do it because it's futile. It's useless. Blah, blah, blah. It went from there and the internet exploded like Chernobyl. (laughs) Now, now I will say this, and I know you have other questions, but I've been listening to Scott Adams for a long time. So when I first saw that rant, I knew what he was doing. But the problem is that not everybody listens to Scott Adams. So this really blew up. So what was he doing, in your opinion, Jeff? He was, he was, was he so, looking for early retirement? <laughs> well, actually, he was. But he didn't set, talk about that until later uh, during an, yeah. an interview with Hotep Jesus. But uh, he, he was being provocative. He was using hyperbole to make a point because he wanted to start a conversation. He trolls a lot. He's done this before, although this would be the strongest example of him doing this. And and so he wanted to, to start a conversation, which he did. But I'm not sure if it's centering on what he actually would have wanted people to be talking about. Yeah, I mean, no doubt he is a provocateur, as is Hotep Jesus, I might add. I'm sure. Oh, yes. I think you know him and uh, let him know he does have a fan over here. Now, you wrote a piece on Liberty Nation. Uh, I think it's called uh, Dilbert Creator Scott Adams Sets the Internet on Fire. Uh, And I got to say, also that article kind of set on fire in terms of of the numbers that it gained. It seems to be a a, a popular story across vast swaths of, of even before unreached audiences. Now, why do you think it gained so much traction? You know, I think part of it was people wanting to understand what Scott Adams was doing. I mean, some people just dismiss it as racist. But again, I hate to say it, but racism sells. If people think that something's racist, it's going to go viral on social media. I mean, also, Scott Adams is pretty well known. I mean, not everybody listens to his podcast, but they have an idea of who he is. Everybody knows what Dilbert is, right? I mean, oh, yeah. even when we were kids, Dilbert was around. So I think that's a lot of it. And I think people had questions about the Rasmussen poll. I think people are are rightly questioning the, the veracity of the poll. I mean, the, the way the numbers break down, it's a little, it's a, it seems a little hanky. Yeah, let's talk about that poll very quickly. Now, you and I, we, we both do 
a lot of work on digging into the cross tabs and digging into the the methodologies on polling. We have to, you know, we follow politics mm-hmm. uh, like like hawks hunting rabbits. Um, and with this one, I think uh, so. It was a thousand people, uh, and to be representative of the the ethnic makeup of America, they went for a hundred and thirty black respondents. That's about right, is it? Yes. So they pulled a little over a thousand people, 13 percent of which were black, which adds up to a grand total of about 130 black people or so. Although I did see a video uh, with the guy from Rasmussen, Mark, same name as you, uh, who was actually defending the poll and saying that they actually interviewed about, uh, I think, 117. So it was around there. But sure. that basically means that if you do 47% of that, you've got 61 black people saying that either they're not sure whether it's okay to be white or disagreeing with the statement, which it's hard for me to. It's I, not I representative of an entire group of, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many, 13, how many people, I don't know, what's 40 million people, I guess. Um, now, I, I think uh, it's worth pointing out that Rasmussen has done some uh, amazing polling, but I, I think the sure. issue here. Um, is that you're looking at something about an attitude rather than a decision, and an attitude is far more nuanced than I'm go, you know, I'm going to vote for this person or I'm going to go for that person. That's a very, and I hate mm-hmm. to use the word, that's a very binary choice. Uh, and attitude right. surveys are are non-binary, right? Mm-hmm. So they or them are a little bit more difficult to actually get pr- proper data from. I mean, I, I, that's my take on it. What's yours? Yeah. And, and the thing is, and I understand kind of how statistics work. You get a, like a representative sample. That's kind of how they the, how they do it in general. So I understand that. But but again, it's still hard for me to believe that these people represent m- most black people. But the other issue too, Mark, is the question itself. Right. The phrase it's OK to be white originated with the alt-right on 4chan, and it was uh, more of a racist, white supremacist uh, uh, trolling campaign. And the thing is, that now that doesn't mean that anybody who's saying it's okay to be white now is a racist or alt-right. Um, a lot of people say it because they're pushing back against a lot of the, the anti-white sentiment coming from the left. But regardless of that, that is the origin of the phrase. A lot of black people know that. Now, a lot of people don't know that, but a lot of black people do know that. And so if that's what was in their heads when they were answering these questions, that could have also skewed the results. So I think that there are a lot of problems with the poll. But like you said, it's really hard to quantify this thing because, I mean, I would say in general, I mean, I've I've been black all of my life, except for like the past two or three years because I didn't vote for Biden. Um, But I've known a lot of black people and I have met black people who just don't like white people. I've met racist black people. It's true. But the vast majority aren't really even thinking about white people like that. They're, they're fine with white people being white. I mean, everybody has the right to exist. Right. So, so, so I know that's anecdotal, but at the same time, it's just, it's hard to really answer that question or in in a way, in a way that makes sense and represents the majority of the people. You know, I I was thinking about getting the comedian Steve Martin on this show, because as as you may know, he was raised a poor black child uh, and He he might have a unique perspective on this. Now, Jeff, I, I can't let you go without talking about your new book, Chasing Liberty. What is it about and when does it come out? Yeah, so it comes out on the, the 21st. I'm very excited about of it. March? Of March, yes. Okay. And um, or I'm sorry, it comes out on the 13th, Monday, the 13th of March. 
Very excited about it. And basically, the book does two things. It tells my story of transitioning from the world of partisan politics to focusing primarily, primarily on liberty, promoting liberty, especially at the local level getting people to focus more on their local politics to push back against the excesses of the federal and state governments. Um, I tell my story about how I came to that decision, but I, it's also really to help people understand the situation that Americans are in right now with both parties growing the government, making it more intrusive. Um, also for people who think that they don't have a voice, because if you're a Republican, you, you, the, the establishment is still holding sway. Democrats, same thing. So I, I want to give some practical uh, reasons and practical tips for getting involved at your local level, because that's the politics that affects you the most. OK, and tell us why you think this book is important now. Mm. So I, I think it's important now because I think we're at a time, Mark, where pretty much everybody is dissatisfied with their political party. I think um, that's you know, an understatement. I think so too, yes. And I've always been liberty focused. I've always been more libertarian leaning, even though I was in the more of the conservative world. But especially after these past midterm elections, and I'm speaking to Republicans specifically, when they saw that that red wave didn't materialize and when they saw that the party basically put the exact same leaders back in charge. I think that really disillusioned a lot of people, but it's not like they're going to go vote Democrat. And for Democrats, the same thing. I mean, because liberty has a lot in line with Democrats that Republicans miss. So I think that when we focus on the concept of liberty itself, rather than team red and team blue, then we can actually make more of a difference. One of the main points that I make in the book is that this really isn't about left or right, Republican or Democrat. This is battle is between liberty and authoritarianism. And I really do think that that's the situation that, that we're in right now, regardless of party. So I think that using local politics as a bulwark against a lot of the excesses that are happening, this has to be a grassroots movement that builds from the bottom to protect the people. But th at that point, then you can start bubbling it up to state and federal governments. Jeff, I'm looking forward to reading it. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. We're all familiar with the growing censorship from without, but also there's a fast rising trend of self-censorship whereby regular people are afraid to utter their own thoughts for fear of backlash. It's rampant in the private sector, but becoming even more so in academia. What's the end game and where does this leave us as a society? Well, we're very fortunate to be joined by constitutional attorney, a dapper man about town, legal affairs editor, and host of the excellent Uprising podcast, which I recommend everybody go and listen to, Mr. Scott DiCasenza, Esquire, to try and figure all this out. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Cheers, Mark. So, Scott, uh, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, they conducted a survey examining, uh, I guess, attitudes across academia. What did it find? Uh, a number of things, all sort of disturbing uh, developments on the free speech front, namely that, uh, as might we might expect, given our regular viewing of news stories uh, uh, as they come across the transom, that the, the younger professors are much more hostile to notions of free speech, much less likely to support free speech, and much more likely to countenance 
uh, impositions on free speech than their uh, their older colleagues. And of course, the future is is where the youth is. And so uh, that's what's so troubling about the uh, the findings. So with these findings, I mean, uh, it seems, as you say, that there's definitely a, a generational difference there. The younger ones are. Let me give you one statistic uh, just to kind of throw out there. Over two thirds of the professors in their 50s and older said that it was never acceptable to shout down uh, to sex to successfully shout down a speaker, the classic heckler's veto mark. But only a third of those uh, uh, under 35 felt the same way. They were willing to grant a heck like over two thirds were willing to say that a heckler's veto was OK. It is the classic denial of free speech on the college campus. And 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 I think it starkly illustrates the problem. Yeah, that, that I think that age differential is, is really important because obviously you have well two reasons. One, the older professors are raised in a different generation where this really wasn't acceptable. You know, the ideas of free speech, especially on a college campus, were, were thought to be inviolate when many of these people may have gone to college, so even 30 to 40 years ago. But also... Well, long, longer than that, and, and many of them came about during the time when the free speech movement yeah. was afoot, which was actually about free speech on campus in the face of conservative, largely, uh, but in any case, sort of... Uh, writ large uh, establishment uh, censorship against uh, alternative speech. Absolutely. Which brings to the second point. So these these older professors, they're older. They don't have a, a career to try and save. So really, the younger ones, they're fearful. And I think that's a very sad place to be. They're fearful about what am I going to do for the next 40, 50 years if I get cancelled. And it seems that these these young professors, they're worried about making uh, some kind of mistake. I think it's 40% are worried about making a mistake that will cost them their career. Now, when they say that's, making... That's 40% of the liberals self-identified yes. in yes. the survey, Mark. So you can only imagine, for those who don't identify <laughs> as liberal, what that number it must be you know, closer to 100 than the zero, I would imagine. I would very much agree with that. Um, so you've got these professors and they're scared. When they say making a mistake, they don't mean that, you know, I, I accidentally said that uh, pi to nine digits instead of 10 digits and I got the 10th digit wrong. Right. What they're talking about is something that will offend the children. That's what they're talking about when they say a mistake. They mean something that will offend somebody within their class. Or let's be fair, this can be somebody not even in their class. As we have yeah, seen, a, we Twitter have seen mob, a Twitter a Twitter mob need not occur. You know, Justin Peterson uh, is famously being Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. What did I say? Justin uh, is I think maybe Justin Trudeau. Uh, and there was a portman too of that. Sorry about that to, to both gentlemen. No offense intended. Uh, yeah. Jordan Peterson is famously being uh, uh, either prosecuted or persecuted, as you might mm -hmm. say, by uh, I think it's the uh, Ontario College of uh, Psychologists, or or if that's not exactly it, it's, it's the governing enough. body of, of psychologists, and and, and uh, for a number of complaints about his mm -hmm. uh, uh, clinical psychology practice, and none of the complaints are by a patient of his or by anybody who's even met any patient of his. They're all just some rando person on the internet who decided to complain, and of course, they're the people who are motivated to act against him in any case now have you know some purchase of a ledge that they think they can you know 
they can hoist uh, his own petard on, basically. It's, but it's it's an Orwellian six degrees of Kevin Bacon now, uh, or six steps from Kevin Bacon. I'm not sure how that works. And the same thing true for these for these professors, as yes. you say, like they could make a comment at an academic conference by answering a question and not properly denouncing mm. something or some pronoun. Uh, some perceived pronoun violation that we're, you know, hypersensitive to in these days, you know, anything like that. Let, let me get back to the question on this, Scott, because so it's the children that the professors are afraid of because the children are waiting for an opportunity to pounce on them and make them pay for an unspecified crime or for having a position of authority that they resent. Now, I appreciate you calling them children editorially, but let's be clear, we're talking about adult adults in america i was talking about their mental students. capacity um yeah, but yes that. they're phys- physically <laughs> adults they they identify as adults by the way don't um, make the mistake it's not about their mental capacity it's their emotional capacity that's sorry the, yeah that's absolutely trouble correct. here mark so they, they've gone full authoritarian haven't they haven't they become yes, the little... things which they they protest against well, they don't protest against authority well yeah i guess if you're if, if they're still using those talking points but now it's mostly about uh, you know, hate speech is uh, is to be railed upon rather than free speech to be embraced. And this is the natural consequence of it. Uh, the, the sad thing is that, you know, do we see these these younger professors maturing into robust defenders of free speech? Uh, it, I, without the, the proper foundation to respect it, it, you wonder how they're going to, you know, get that seep into their pores. Well, here's the uh, let me take this idea and make it even more dystopian for you. You have these young professors who will, I mean, if if they're watching every single word they say in fear, living their careers in fear, they're going to be broken elderly professors who may have tenure, but who have lost the passion of life and the spirit of critical thinking and fierce thought, which is a tragedy in itself. But then they'll be teaching a generation of people uh, a new generation of people to become professors and imagine what state those are going to be in. I'm always reminded of the idea that uh, you see uh, a, a young single mother, perhaps wandering around with a, the child and the child's like two years old and it's got ear, pierced ears and whatnot already. And she, the mother's got the tattoos and the pierced ears. The child at two years old has got the pierced ears. What's that child's child going to be like? <laughs> How Face far down the rabbit hole does this go? <laughs> Face tattoos are the only thing that uh, that spring to mind. Uh, I live in the north yeah, of England. They're well, very common. I would say that um, what you've laid out is is certainly a, uh, a a troubling and dystopian vision of the future. I would say take sucker in the notion that uh, our universities will be uh, defunct by then, that the corruption and rot is so through and through, that the value proposition that they offer is so poor that increasingly uh, people are choosing to stay away from them and uh, – Given the you know the, the but technological matter, access to, that doesn't matter if the value proposition is so poor when uh, you have the government uh, seemingly willing to 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 bail you out for the costs uh, along the even line. Even that is a uh, is a sucker's deal. Um, you know, the, the, they act like they're giving these uh, these bailouts, and uh, meanwhile. The average cost of a four-year education, you know, it's like ten percent, like something like that, is uh, is the bailout amount. It's so even the socialism they're not they're not getting right. It's like the imposition of uh, Obamacare. It's you know 
a, a very expensive insurance policy that doesn't cover much. The you know at least the European socialists seem to be able to deliver some services with their uh, they they, they absolutely taxes. do, and as long as you don't mind waiting a year and a half for it, right. you, you're going to get it just uh, just right. <laughs> Scott De Casenza, thanks ever so much for talking with us on this particular topic. Much appreciated. Thanks, Mark. And that about wraps it up for this week on Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. My thanks to our guests, Lisa K. Donna, Sarah Cowgill, Jeff Charles, and Scott D. Casenza, and to you at home for taking the time to join us. One final thought to leave you with. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, People demand freedom of speech as a compensation for the freedom of thought which they seldom use. Now, I have a feeling that if people thought more than they spoke and considered what they had heard more than react with that authoritarian abandon, we might not be in the midst of a war on free speech at all. Just something to consider. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.